Well, happy Thanksgiving. This morning, we are going to spend our time in the sermon looking at Psalm chapter 33. We're going to be looking at the, the whole chapter. Uh, so please feel free to follow along on the screen behind or grab a pew Bible. We will be at, uh, starting on page 546. Page 546. And again, we are reading all of Psalm 33. God's word says this. <clears throat> Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his works is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a tremendous privilege we have to be able to gather here this morning and give thanks to our God on a Thursday morning midweek. And it truly is a wonderful time in the life of our country as we have chosen as a society to set this time aside and say this day, once a year, is a day that we are going to give thanks. Well, as Christians, we recognize that for us, it's not just one day a week or one day a year that we give thanks. We are called to give thanks to our Lord every single day of our lives and especially at least once a week as we come on the Lord's day. And there is much to give thanks for. Just generally speaking, we can give thanks for the, the beautiful weather, the oxygen in our lungs, the sunshine that we have, the, the beautiful canvas that God has painted outside as the leaves change. We can give more specific thanks as we most of us are meeting with our families today, and we get to have a, a meal. And as Pastor Dave said, we have food in our pantries, food on our tables, love in our hearts. We can certainly give thanks that we are all here this morning 
that we have the freedom to worship God in this country safely together. There really is a great number of things that we can be grateful for today. But on a day like this, we also recognize that even though that number is great, and really that list is almost endless, that we live in a fallen, sinful world that is broken. Since last Thanksgiving, 365 days ago, there has been real pain. There has been real suffering, and real people have gone through that. We think globally of things like the suffering in the Ukraine with the war there and and the suffering that people are going through there. We think of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world who are being persecuted or who even have died for their faith. We think of the endless atrocities that seem to to never stop being committed by wicked governments and, and wicked dictators. We can think more domestically as political strife seems to be gripping this country where Sadly, Americans hate Americans. We can think of school shootings that happened this year, of tragedy in that area of life. We can think of low crop prices and many industries struggling throughout this year. We also think more locally of injuries, sicknesses, even deaths, job loss, and so on. Now, my intention is not to come to you on Thanksgiving and depress you all. I hope that's not what's happening. But in this turmoil, which we recognize happens throughout the world, God gives us an opportunity to stand here this morning and proclaim that our trust is not in the things of this world. It's not in our stuff. It's not in our our, our philosophers, in our doctors. It's certainly not in our politicians. We stand here and proclaim that our trust and our thankfulness is to our God. And that is hope. And that hope is precisely why we can come here and joyfully, not just give thanks, but joyfully give thanks to our God. Even in times of suffering and even in times of trial. Wherever you are at this morning, whether you come Uh, filled with joy, or you're coming mourning in mourning. My encouragement throughout this sermon is that as you come to your Thanksgiving table after this, that you will spend concentrated time reflecting on the promises of God. And as you reflect on the promises that God has made to you, that that would be the well of joy that you draw from as you give thanks to God. In Psalm 33, the psalmist gives us three reasons of hope that fill us with joy as we give thanks to God. The three reasons are these. First, that God's word is upright. Second, that God is sovereign. And third, that God sees and he delivers his children. Well, now we'll come back to that in a second. The psalmist begins this chapter by calling believers to shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. And then he says something interesting. He says, praise befits the righteous. Praise, or praise befits the upright. The psalmist here is assuming that Christians are already compelled, 
in their souls to worship God. In other words, if we actually believe that what God's word says is true about God, then we will joyfully praise God. I don't think there's in between. The more we know and more we believe about God, the more joy through the power of the Holy Spirit will manifest itself in thankful praise of our Lord. Now, even though we are called to shout for joy, this isn't giving us permission to just stand up and start shouting nonsense and call it shouts for joy. We see this throughout all of the Psalms and throughout the rest of the Bible. We are called to praise God in a meaningful, thoughtful, and orderly manner. We're not called to chaotic worship where anything goes and everything goes. In verses 1 through 3, I think we see this in a, in a phenomenal way. The psalmist describes several instruments that are being used. He talks about different melodies being voiced and new songs being sung. He even goes so far as to say, play skillfully. Now, this isn't saying that if you're like me, and you don't sing very well, and you're hopeless at playing any instruments, that you should just sit, sit in the corner and let the professionals take over and stay quiet in the corner. Certainly, that's not what it's talking about. Certainly, throughout the Psalms, we do not see that. But what it is saying, what the psalmist is calling us to, is to do our best, both as individuals and the church, to think about what we're doing, to think through it, to bring God the best that we can bring him. Why? Because God deserves it. And then, after we do bring our best, then we are called to shout, loud, shout for joy in the Lord. To not hold back our praises to God. Our souls, are I don't think, are meant to hold back the praises of God. We are meant to pour forth what God has done in our life through adoration and adoring the creator who saved us. And as the psalm goes on, we are given those three reasons of hope that should fill us with joy that compels us to say, God, you are glorious. The first reason we are given hope, which fills us with this joyful praise, is that, again, God's word is upright. God's word is truthful. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is one of those teachings that we hear the moment we step into a Sunday school class years and years ago. But is this something that we actually allow to settle on our hearts? God is truthful in everything that he says and everything that he does. Everything that he has promised us as his children will come true. Why? Because God said so. His word is completely true. He does everything that he says he is going to do, and he does it exactly how he says he's going to do it. Verses 4 and 5 say, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his, the work, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. He loves truth. The earth is full of the steadfast love, of the Lord. Now, not only does the psalmist remind us that God's word is truth, but he goes on to remind us that in that truthful word, that it is the power of God 
that God uses his word to accomplish his will. Verses 6 and 7. By the word, and this is, this is one of those, those verses that I could read over and over again. It's powerful. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. God's power is so immense that when he speaks, it happens. In the face of such incredible power, how should we as Christians respond? The psalmist goes on to tell us, verses 8 and 9, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. He, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. As each of us go from here and we sit at the Thanksgiving table, my encouragement, my first encouragement to you all, is that you spend time reflecting on these promises that God has made, that his word is true, that what he has promised will come to pass. And brothers and sisters, that you stand in awe of a God who speaks and things are. Stand in awe of the power and the might of God's breath. Whether you're in a place in your life where thankfulness comes easy or where sorrow comes even easier, I want to encourage you that joy is yours. The joy of the Lord is yours. Joy is not dependent on your situation. Joy is dependent on an eternal God who loves you and is faithful to you. How do we sing joy to the Lord? Again, fear God and trust his perfect promises. And let your thankfulness flow from the joy that comes from those promises. The second reason of hope that should fill us with joy as we praise God is that God's will is sovereign. God's will is sovereign. It can be easy to despair, I think, in, in times like this where it, it becomes so obvious that there's so much blatant hatred for God in our country. A country that we love, that we want to see redeemed, but seems to continue to more and more hate our God. We have politicians, famous philosophers and thinkers, movie stars, and even former pastors who publicly and shamelessly Proclaim that God is dead and that you are a fool if you follow God. We have schools teaching pagan and wicked ideologies as if they are fact. We have popular animated children's movies and studios whose whole goal is to indoctrinate our children in the culture. And we have many pulpits across America who do not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ who do not stand and say that we as humans are sinful and in desperate need of a savior and that Christ came and lived a perfect life and was tortured and was killed on a Roman cross, a death that you and I deserve, and then drank the full wrath of God, something we are hopeless to do, so that you may have his righteousness, so that through faith in him we have eternal life and forgiveness of our sins. But brothers and sisters, 
even though this spiritual war can sometimes leave us feeling hopeless, my encouragement is for you to rejoice. To rejoice. When you feel hopeless and you see these, these cultural things kind of, kind of running into our, our schools and into our families, smile and rejoice. Why? Not because we want them to happen, but because God is in control. One of the basic and most precious doctrines of the Reformed faith is God is sovereign. Pastor Dave talked about this last Sunday night in God's providence. God is sovereign. All things happen according to his will. Nothing happens unless God our Father says so. He is in control. Verses 10 through 12 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his hearts to all generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Heritage. So again, rejoice. God is in control. And he has chosen each one of you to be a part of his kingdom. So my second encouragement, as we gather at our tables today, take some concentrated time and rest in the assurance that no matter what's going on in your life, again, God is in control. It doesn't matter how big something is happening or how small it seems. God is in control. And we move to the third reason. And I think the third reason really flows out of the second reason. The third reason of hope, which fills us with joyful praise, is that God sees and delivers his children. Our God is truthful. Our God is all-powerful and our God is sovereign. But he does not claim those attributes and then just say, you know what? You're my children, but good luck. Try to figure it out. Instead, he sees us and he delivers us. Verses 13 and 15 through 15. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the nations of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. The psalmist says something rather scary here, which we all know, and that is that no one can hide from God. God sees all things. And he doesn't just see our sins, although sometimes it may feel like God just sees our sins. But he sees our hurts. He sees our fears. He sees our insecurities. He sees our highs and our lows. He sees what frightens us and when it frightens us. And he sees when we are in danger. Even knowing the most intimate parts of our lives, the most sinful and wicked parts of our souls. In this passage, God is not looking for us to come groveling to him for forgiveness. God has given us forgiveness. Now, when we do sin, we should repent. But what, what we see here is that God wants us to trust that he is our security, that he is our safety, that he is our comfort, that he is our rock and our fortress, that his strength will save us. 
God wants us to seek his wisdom and his counsel before all other things. As humans and as Christians, it is tempting, even if we don't realize that we're doing it, it's tempting to flee to other things for comfort, security, wisdom. Maybe you're fighting with your spouse. And instead of going before God on your knees, praying, Lord, what do I do? Maybe even praying with your spouse. You go to your friends and you go to a counselor. Now, going to friends and counselors aren't bad things, but they are if they replace God Almighty. Maybe you come at home every night from a hard day's work and you deserve to relax. And so you turn on the TV and all of a sudden the night's gone and all of a sudden the week's gone and all of a sudden the month's gone and you haven't opened your Bibles, you haven't prayed. You haven't spent a whole lot of time with your family. Or maybe you are so furious and disgusted by the politics on the other side of the aisle from you. And instead of trusting that God is sovereign, that he is in control even over politics, you spend all of your thoughts, all of your energy, all of your money and time on getting your guy elected. Because if we could just get my guy, then things will change. And maybe instead of seeing those political adversaries as image bearers of a mighty and holy God, we begin to see them as bitter enemies. In verses 16 through 17, the psalmist is clear about who we go to for our strength, who we go to for our wisdom, who our fortress is, our rescuer is. It says this, the king and I love that. If you're going to hear one thing, hear this passage right here. The king is not saved by his great army. The warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue you. As you gather around your Thanksgiving table today, my third encouragement Take time, concentrated, purposeful, worshipful time to praise God in joyful thanksgiving that he is our deliverer and our savior. That our might, this is good news, brothers and sisters, our might will fail, but Christ, God's will last forever. God wants us to give up our perceived control over our own lives and give it to him. And the irony is that he is the only source of true security, true foundation. Verses 18 through 19 finish. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their souls from death and keep them alive in famine. The eye of God, the blessing of God is on those who fear God, who recognize who God is, who recognize who we are as feeble, finite human beings and put all our trust in a glorious God. And again, he may deliver their souls from death and keep them alive in famine. As we do leave here this morning, my hope is 
that you leave with joy in your hearts and praise on your lips. That as you sit around the Thanksgiving table, that you feel that compulsion within your soul to say, God, I thank you for everything I have. Nothing I have is something I have earned, but you have given it to me as a blessing as your child. And brothers and sisters, if you do mourn today, as many will, I encourage you to mourn. But mourn and let your heart be glad in the Lord at the same time. And do that by trusting in the promises of God. Trusting in his power. And so as we do leave here today, I encourage you to be thankful. Thankful for God's promises that they are always true. His word never fails. Thank you that it is powerful. Thankful that God is in sovereign control. And thankful that he sees you, he cares for you, and he's working all things for his glory and for your good. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, the thing we can be most thankful for is that you have called us into a relationship with you, that you have saved us, that Christ has died for me and has died for us. The more we know about you and the more we stand in awe and wonder of you, we thank you that you have blessed each one of us beyond measure. I pray that as we celebrate Thanksgiving, that you would focus all of our minds and our hearts to worship and adore you. Let your steadfast love, O oh Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. We pray this in your name. Amen.